0: <laughs> Got a special guest tonight. It's good to see you. Yep. Special guest for our students tonight, our kids tonight. They're going to enjoy that. I can tell already. I can tell already. Yes. How can a young man keep his way fun by guarding it according to Bonnie's ways, right? <laughs> that is true indeed. So uh, let's look together at this uh, second stanza. Uh, In this second stanza, we get another little shade of understanding about how we can have a relationship with God that's full of delight based on his word. Um, It can feel a little bit, when you you read Psalm 119, it can feel a little bit like, um, well, it's a broken record, like he's just saying the same thing over and over. Um, I, I do think on the surface it seems that way, but the more and more I look at each part the less I am convinced of it. I have come to agree with Charles Spurgeon about Psalm 119 who says, we cannot suspect the spirit of God of monotony. (laughs) Um, It might seem that way, but let's don't suspect that God's spirit is guilty of being monotone and, and being a broken record. He's got a reason why he wanted David to write in all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet his love for God's word. And this second stanza brings out this one little facet. Each and every one of us has what he calls a wandering heart. Wandering with an A, not an O, right? Not wandering, but wandering. We sang about it a moment ago in Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave. The God I love. Now notice, the God I love. So this is not a non-Christian, so to speak. This is not an unbeliever saying, oh, God, I have a wondering heart. Well, of course, an unbeliever has a wondering heart. But this is saying, I'm a Christian, and I love the Lord. He has planted his love in my heart, and yet, oh, how I am prone to wonder. Seal my heart, the song says. Seal it, which means what? Protect it, guard it, keep it, keep me focused for thy courts above. Well, in a way, that song, that, at least that verse of the song, is kind of a paraphrase of this verses 9 to 16 of Psalm 119. David is recognizing his own wondering heart, and he's trying to take out of God's word all the different ways that it can be a remedy to that kind of wondering and so if you look at your bulletin, I just want to talk to you about two things. Very simple tonight. We're not going to make it too complicated. First, what is a wondering heart? Second, how to redirect it. What is it and how to redirect it? All right, y'all ready to hear about it? Good. First of all, what is it? Look there at verses 9 through 11. The first three lines of the psalm really help us, ex- help us understand what it is. And the first thing really to get out of the way is what it is not. Uh, and I just pointed out that uh, in the song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, it's not a non-Christian singing, it's a Christian. I love you, and yet my heart is prone to wonder. Well, David says the very same thing. And, of course, David's word is more than the writer of Come Thou Found of Every Blessing because David is writing from the Holy Spirit. David is writing in a Spirit-inspired song about his own experience. Uh, look at the, the, the question he begins with in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? David likely, when he wrote this, was a young man. Uh, Remember, he was writing down in his pocketbook the ABCs of how much he loves God's Word at the same time that he was probably writing out the law of God, preparing to be king. And here he is asking the million-dollar question. I'm a young man. I've got a whole life ahead of me. You've told me I'm going to be king. There's going to be a million temptations related to that. How in the world am I going to make it from point A to point B and stay pure? That is a big question, especially when you consider what the Bible means by pure. What do you think? What does the Bible mean when it says pure? Actually, yes, a a synonym to pure is blameless. That is not worthy of blame. You could throw the P word out there, perfection, but maybe that's a little too strong. But it's something close to perfection. What he's aiming at is, is a real nearness to the character of God. He recognizes in God perfection. He recognizes in God purity and holiness. And he loves God so much that he wants God's characteristics in his own life. But he sees that life from A to B is just, it's really hard to maintain that kind of purity and that kind of blamelessness. He's trying to find the answer. He knows the answer is only going to come from God. That's why he's kind of asking God here and why he's continually referring his own heart back to God's word. Because he knows he can't keep his own way pure. He's going to be relying on what God does through his word in his life. And then you get that very famous verse 10, which is David's version of the hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. I love you. I don't just give you part of my heart or half of my heart. I give you the whole thing. And yet, what does he say in the second part? Let me not wonder. Don't let me get off path. I feel the tug. I feel the pull within, even though I don't have a divided heart. Now, let's do a little review from last week. Remember, I talked to you about a divided heart and a devoted heart. What you want is a devoted heart. David describes a devoted heart with my whole heart, I seek you. A divided heart is someone who's not a Christian, not a believer and yet they've come under enough influence from the Bible that they know they ought to be a believer, but they're not, and so they're divided. They, they Half the time they want to be, half the time they don't. He loves me, he loves me not. I want to follow him, I don't want to follow him. It's just all confused. The cure for that is to have a broken heart into which the grace of God can come so that you can have a devoted heart. Well, listen, David is saying you can have a devoted heart, and that does not mean you don't have a wondering heart. Now, why do you think that's important to notice? Why is it important to notice even if your whole heart is set on God, you can still wander? Anybody got any ideas? It keeps you from being it yes, it keeps you from being surprised. He chooses to leave a wandering, a wild hare in there, right, or two or three, <laughs> to keep us on our toes and keep us fighting. That's good. I think it also uh, uh, magnifies the otherness and holiness of him, that's, God. that's right, yeah. Yeah, clearly he's the only one perfect and blameless and pure. Alex? Keeps you humble. Keeps you humble. Right? It's kind of piggybacking off of that. He's the only one. You're not like him. There, there's a need for steady humility in the Christian life. And I think it's wonderful to hear David from such a young age, whenever it was he wrote this, for him to have this kind of mixture of devotion and humility at the same time. I know I'm fully devoted. I know I want the Lord my God. But I also know whew, there's all kinds of ways my heart gets tugged and pulled. I need something outside of myself to help me. That's important. And I don't know how aware of that you are in your own life. How aware of your wondering heart are you? Kind of going back to this morning sermon. Sometimes when we get a wondering heart and it starts to surface, we, again, we beat ourselves up and we argue with the Holy Spirit and think, well, there you go. Clearly I've got a divided heart. Don't be that way. Don't quickly say, just because you're wondering, you're divided. David says, with my whole heart, I sought God, and yet, let me not wonder. Uh, There is something in us all to pull us away. And just like we said this morning again, when it's on the inside, it's hard to see. When it's on the outside, it's fairly easy to see. And so you want to check a wondering heart while it's still within, because if you carry out the desires of that wondering part of your heart, it will not go well. Uh, you will not keep your way pure in, in David's terminology. Um, you can see that. This is a good Polk County illustration for you already. This is, this is peak Polk County. Um, we all can notice when a truck has been off-road, <laughs> right? You can see it. It's obvious um, you can't tell if a if the driver wants to go off-road, but hasn't been. The truck looks the same. but ha- he does. But you know he does. In Polk <laughs> County, if he's got a truck, you assume he wants to go off-road, right? Of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? Truly. But you can see if they have. How can you see if they have? I mean, there is a distinctive... Splash of mud that gets caked on the side, normally people you know wear it for weeks as a badge of pride and honor around here, right i 've been off road look at me, you know that 's what david 's talking about. How can I keep my way pure? How can I keep my life clean by staying on the path? I feel in my heart a pull away from the path. I want to go off road all the time because My heart is prone to wonder. But I know if I follow my wondering heart, I'm going to get, and this is not just innocent mud. This is the nasty mud that we read about this morning, the kind of mud that will wreck your life, the mud of sin and rebellion that will get caked up. And, yes, even a Christian can get there. Uh, Please don't have a naive view. Christians can sin, and Christians can sin big. Um. Christians can sin big, and yeah, they're going to go to heaven, but they may end up having a very difficult time on earth on the way there because of their sin. Don't y'all know that, right? God doesn't always shield us from all temporary uh, consequences of our sins. And so David knows, David knows this, and he's saying, God, you can almost hear the desperation, let me not wonder. I do not want to go off-road because the stuff that's out there is, is going to not only make my life impure in some kind of ritual sense, it's going to make me impure in a way that would actually wreck me. And don't you know, later in David's life, he would know that, like, for sure, like by, by personal experience, where his family got completely imploded. Through him wandering off the path of God's word. And so he says in verse 11, My strategy for this, my strategy to not wonder, is to guard my heart by storing up God's word within it. See that? Uh, some translations say, I have hidden your word in my heart. That's probably one, if you've been around church for a long time, that's probably the one you. Memorize, because that was the old one. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Um, I I kind of like them both, stored and hidden. But they both kind of bring two different shades of the meaning of the word. What does hidden um, convey? I hid your word in my heart. Yeah, you've got to... It's a treasure that you don't want to display. You you don't want to put the... Most expensive item where it can get broken or where it can get stolen, so you hide it and lock it in the safe. That's what hidden means. And store can kind of have that same idea. But what does store convey? Access. Access yep, yeah, I think so too. Or I think also organization. Like when I think store things, I think of you know the shelves where you make sure everything's in its right place and everything's labeled and. You can kind of get both shades of, maybe that's just my my weirdness that thinks of that as story, but that's what I think about, Um, and I think maybe both shades of meeting are there that David is so careful with the Bible. When he takes God's word in, he wants to order it all out, to put everything in its proper category within his heart so he can fully understand how it all relates to everything else, but at the same time, he treats it like a precious jewel. He's not hiding it because he doesn't want to share it with anybody. He's not like stingy with the word, but he's hiding it because he doesn't want it to be stolen by his wandering heart. He doesn't want it to be lost through the process of his negligence. And so he's very careful to watch over his life. I want to tell you, every one of us needs to develop a resolve like that. A resolve like that. Uh, When a person becomes a Christian, two things happen. The theologians call it the double grace that comes from Jesus, the double grace. Justification, sanctification. That's the double grace. You believe in the Lord Jesus, you are justified in that moment. That means all your sins are forgiven forever, past, present, future. All the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. You're accepted 100% before God. That's justification. Sanctification begins to happen. You are set apart as holy, you're given a new heart, and God begins to work to plant the fruit of the Spirit in you. He begins to change you. But that continues as a process. Justification is not a process. Sanctification is a process. Those things happen to every single Christian. That's why a Christian cannot have a truly divided heart. And yet, because sanctification is a process, that's where you get the wild hairs of wondering that pop up in all of our hearts or the sin, like we talked about this morning, that we must learn how to kill, mortify, and put to death. It's because sanctification is in progress. There are still areas of our hearts that are as yet not fully conquered by Christ the King, if you want to put it that way, right? Although it's destined to be conquered. Yet for now, he leaves it so that we can learn to fight alongside of him and depend on him. Have you felt yourself prone to wonder recently? Have you? Second question. Do you have the resolve that you see here from David? Sobering thing. David had this resolve probably early in his life. By the end of his life, didn't have this resolve. At least for a time. That's sobering to me. I don't know about you, but... That reminds me that it's something that must be continually maintained. Um, David, before he became king, straight as an arrow, wanting the Lord God, bleeding with him, keep me on path. David, when he's successful, chilling out in the palace, staring over the top of other people's roofs with nothing to do, right? Wasn't as resolved. And so we all have to always work on our resolve. God, I want to stay on your path, and it's going to only happen by me ingesting your word over and over again. All right, that's the first thing. Let's look at the second thing, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here because there's a lot of things to look at. How can we redirect a wandering heart? And here I, I want to give specifics tonight. I want to try to give you some real specific things to think about and to do. Uh, we've already said the general answer to how we redirect our heart. We redirect a wondering heart by the word. David's already given that answer three different times. In verse 9, I, by guarding it according to your word. Uh, verse 10, let me not wander from your commandments. Again, there's the word. Verse 11, I have stored up or hidden your word in my heart. He's already pointed to the word. But in verses 12 through 16, the rest of the section, he gives five specific examples of how he does that. Five specific examples of how he uses God's word, or God, really, a better way to say this God uses his word to redirect David. Five ways. Y'all want to see him? Good because I'm going to give them to you either way. It just makes me feel better if you want to hear them. Uh, let me real quick just point them out to you, the five, and then I'll, I'll go through and explain them. Uh, first of all, the first one's in verse 12. He says, or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 12. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. That's the first one. We're going to draw something out of that. Second one, verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth third one verse 14 in the way of your testimonies i delight as much as in all riches fourth i will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your statutes fifth i will delight in your statutes i will not forget your word that's where i'm getting them from and i'm going to give give you one word for each one so you didn't have to write all that down <laughs> that wasn't the list to write down i should have told you that was that was me showing you each verse is describing a new strategy that David uses. So first strategy comes from verse 12, and I'm going to call it prepare. Prepare. Everybody can write that word down. That was quicker, right? Prepare. What David is doing in verse 12 is he is preparing his heart. He's modeling how to prepare your heart to hear from God in the Scriptures. Uh, Whether you're reading the Bible yourself, by yourself, whether you're listening to someone read it to you, Uh, whether you're listening to a sermon or a lesson or you're going to a Bible study or you are listening to a podcast about the Bible, however it is you're taking in the Bible, this is a great way to prepare your heart to do it. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Now, there are two things here that he does, two parallel things. What's the first thing that he does to prepare? praise. Um, now, when we say a person is blessed, we say God has blessed them. What does it mean when we say, blessed are you, O God? What does that mean? How do you bless God? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to say, blessed are you, God? To verbalize. verbalize what? His greatness. greatness. Yes. Yeah, so you're not... When he says, bless you, he's actually giving you something that you don't have. Y'all got that? You don't have it. He's got it. Blessed means he takes it and gives it. When we say, blessed are you, we're not taking something he doesn't have and giving it to him. It's the difference. What we're doing is we're verbally and consciously recognizing what he already has in and of himself. So to say, blessed are you, O Lord, is to recognize the sufficiency, the greatness The power, the majesty, you can put any attribute of God there you want. It's recognizing who God is according to his attributes. Acknowledging God is God, we are not. We're in the position of praise, not in the position of equal with God or let alone above God. This is key. When you come to the Bible, you can't come to it as if you are inspecting God's work and grading it do you ever do that have you ever done that I mean we've all probably done it at times oh well I don't like that I wouldn't have said that Uh, that sounds like a terrible rule Um, I mean it, it is more common than you think to think things like that we've all probably had the thoughts and certainly we know people who that's they're all their interaction with the Bible is simply that. It's, it's looking on to it as if they're the greater of God's paper. Well, yeah. let me just say it in theological terms. That's foolish. That's a <laughs> theological term. Foolish. Um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool sets himself or herself up as God. David is modeling the opposite of foolishness. He's he's modeling wisdom. Blessed are you, O Lord, O Yahweh, O God of the covenant. I am here presenting myself underneath your rule and authority to hear from you what you alone know that I don't know, what you alone want me to do that I don't do. Which is why after blessing God, he does the second thing. Which is what? Teach me. me. He asks God for help. He asks God for help as he comes to the Bible. Do you do that? When you sit down to read the Bible, is it, Lord, speak, your servant is listening? Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things out of your law. Before you come to church on Sunday, is that your prayer? Is that your prayer on Saturday night? As you prepare your heart for a Sabbath day of reflection on God's word. When you sit down to read the Bible with your family, do y'all get together and say, God, teach us? We don't know. You do, Lord. Blessed are you. Teach me your ways. So much of what we get out of the Bible is determined at that level of preparation. Did y'all hear that? So much of what we either do or don't get out of the Bible, it can go either way, is determined right there. And, and the preparation is not, it doesn't necessarily have to take a ton of time. It, it could some days, because some days we're so, the wild hair is with us. And it takes us a while to gather our thoughts and really think on who God is and put ourselves under him. But, but typically, especially if you're doing this routinely, it doesn't have to take that long. It's just a matter of the attitude. It's a matter of placing your heart in the right posture and attitude before the Lord. The Bible is not merely a reference manual. And it's not merely an inspirational guide with great quotes for Facebook. Although there are great quotes for Facebook from the Bible. That's not the primary point of the Bible. The Bible is God's heart to your heart, like we said last week. And so you've got to settle before you even start your heart and God's heart. You've got to settle what the relationship is. David knows, blessed are you. You have all blessing. Teach me. Number one is what? Prepare. Everybody with me? All right, number two. Number two is found in verse 13. David confesses. He confesses with his mouth. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Notice how he points out God's mouth, his lips. He's emphasizing the fact that God has made his word public. He's made it in a written public form. He hasn't given it secretly. He he doesn't give it directly from heaven to every individual human heart. He gives it publicly for all, for all to take. It's a public declaration. And so he says, because, God, you have publicly declared yourself to us, one thing I'm going to resolve to do before I read the Bible is I'm going to resolve to publicly declare back to you what you declared to me. Um, the word confess uh, it actually is a word that when you break it down that means to say with, to say, to, to say along with someone. So when you say I confess my sins to God, what you're saying is I am agreeing with God about my sin. And I'm doing it out loud to God. I'm agreeing with God. What you say about me is true, God. When we confess our faith together, what we're doing is we're saying the same thing in response to what God has said. David says, I'm going to take your words to my lips because it's important for me when I come to the Bible, not only to see myself under you, but to be resolved that I'm going to believe, I'm going to say the same thing you do. I'm going to believe everything you say. I'm resolved. God, you may tell me some things that are really hard for me to take today, but I'm resolved with my lips. I'm going to echo back what you said with your mouth. I'm going to agree with you, God, because to agree with you is life. To disagree with you is a whole bunch of foolishness. And so I'm going to lay aside the foolishness, and I'm going to resolve myself to be with you. You are my God. I will seek you with all my heart, and I will agree with you. And Lord, if anything in me doesn't want to agree with you, it's not going to surprise me because I' got a wondering heart. I'm going to ask you to correct that, because I've got a resolve here to agree with what God has to say. This is so important. The Bible says if you don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me add to that. If you don't have faith, it's impossible to understand the Bible. If, if you've come to it without any kind of resolve to trust God, the God who speaks in it, well, you know, you're probably not going to get a whole lot out of it. Uh, I've, I've al- always talked about my professors that I had in college who taught the Bible who didn't believe in the Bible. And you could see it with them all the time. That They knew a lot of things about it. They knew a lot about the history. They did teach me some things I didn't know. However, they didn't have any kind of living relationship with God, of course, because they didn't have trust. They didn't have faith. They didn't buy into it at all. And they were among those that thought of themselves as grading God's paper. Right? Uh, that was a recipe for disaster. David is not saying in this psalm, God, I just want to be a Bible scholar more than that he doesn't just want to be a bible scholar he wants to be a bible believing scholar <laughs> he wants to be a scholar because he loves God and seeks God and so he says I'm going to declare with my lips exactly what your mouth says you're going to say it and I'm going to say it back now think about it how good is it Have you ever had that experience where you say something in a conversation that's really vulnerable and someone says, you know, I agree with you. I think the same thing. How does that feel? I think it feels pretty good, right? You're like, wow, okay, I'm not a weirdo. (laughs) Somebody else has the same experience as me. Somebody else thinks the way I do. Wow, that's cool. We could actually maybe have a friendship here. Well, that is the delight. This is small bit of the delight that God our Father has when his children say with their lips back to him what he with his mouth has said. That's my people. That's my people. They're the ones I want to be with. When the Bible says God is enthroned upon the praises of his people, that's what it's talking about. God sets his throne in the midst of a people who say back to him what he says. Right? Isn't that good? And he doesn't have his throne anywhere else, actually, than than among those who will say, God, I'm with you. Ben? Call me biased. I feel like one of the best ways to do that is through song. I think think you are 100% correct, which is exactly why. In the New Testament, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then what does it say next? Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. And then it says, by singing. Psalms, hymns, spiritual th- songs with grace in your heart to the Lord. A- absolutely. Uh, why? One whole book of the Bible is a book of songs, because God desires his people to say back to him what he said first to them. That's what prayer is, too, by the way, not singing in prayer. is saying it back, as well as confessing our faith and theology and preaching and all that is just saying back to God what God said to us. That's two. What's one? One what's to confess Confess. number three obey obey Uh, truth in the bible is unto obedience I, i know somebody else said that that way but i couldn't find who that was i don't remember where i got that quote from but i got it years ago so if you know let me know but somebody said truth is always unto obedience in the bible in other words, God doesn't tell us true things just so that we know true things. You know, he tells us true things so that we know true things and we'll then act on those true things, you know, that we'll we'll then respond in our lives according to what he has said. Well, look there at verse 14 because that is exactly what David is resolved to do too. He says in the way of your testimonies. He doesn't just say in your testimonies I delight he says, in the way of your testimonies. What's the difference? Progression. Okay. So in your testimony, in the way, way implies a, you're saying it implies a progression and a direction. Yep. Right. Exactly, yeah. The way is the lifestyle that should result. So he began the whole section with, how can a young man keep his way pure? He began the psalm with, blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk is in the law of the Lord. And so way, walk, way, life, all those words are synonyms for David to describe the lifestyle of a person. He says, I delight in the lifestyle that your testimonies lays out. They, they, Christianity the way, they did. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Exactly right. In the book of Acts, before it was ever called Christianity, which came at Antioch, they first called them Christians there. Before that, they called them the way. And there's the reason, because our Faith is a doctrinal faith. Don't make any mistake about it. The, the Bible is a doctrinal book. It has beliefs to believe, but the Bible is also a lifestyle. It's a life to live as well. The two are not opposed to each other. Doctrine and life are together. Doctrine is for life. Uh, the Word of God and the truth of God is unto obedience. Uh, the gospel is unto godliness that we might believe and therefore Have our lives reflect what it is we believe. David says, I delight in the way of your testimonies. The way, God, that you have laid out and the way you said you want me to live, it is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I've never heard a life better than the one you lay out, God. It's the good life. It's the good life. I mean, Lord, if everybody obeyed your ten words that you gave to Moses on the mountain, what a world we would have. What a world we would have. Oh, that my ways were aligned with your ways because I delight in it. Notice what he says I delight in it as much as in all riches. All riches. In other words, my delight is a real, genuine, felt delight. Other people delight in their riches and they're drunk with them. I'm drunk on the Bible, David says. I'm intoxicated. With God's way revealed in the Bible. I've traded in my intoxication with created things, such as riches, for an intoxication with God. Somebody once described the, the period of the Reformation. This was a, actually a non Christian scholar who said the Reformation was so powerful in Europe because there was this group of people that were God intoxicated that just started living out their life with an obsession of God that just reshaped a continent, you know? Every t- ever since I read that, I thought, man, Lord, bring reformation again, right? Bring revival again, that men and women might be God-intoxicated, that it might not just be this casual take-it-or-leave-it kind of stuff that we got going on most of the time, but that it might be God. I am thirsty for you, and I am, on, I am completely taken up in the way that you have laid out for me, and in the knowledge of who you are. I just want to know you. I just want to run in the direction of your commandments. I delight. Other people can have their riches. They can have their pleasures that are temporary. They can have their created things. Give me God's ways. Isn't that cool? What a resolve. And so David is preparing to hear the Bible. That's his redirecting his heart. He's Confessing, he's resolving to say what God says, and he's resolving to obey what he hears. He loves not just the truth, but he loves the way of life that comes from the truth. Fourth thing, he meditates. Now we've got to do some definition for meditate, and I find this in verse um, 15. And actually, I don't have to do too much work to define it because this is another parallel line, which in Hebrew, you know, you have your first line, second line. They both say the same thing with different words to give you two different shades of meaning. And so the word meditate is parallel to what phrase in the second line of verse 15? Fix my eyes. eyes. So meditate equals fix my eyes. And so there you have it, right? That's what meditate means. Now, when, I, when we say meditate today, most people's minds go where? Right? To, to an Eastern religious way of meditation, which is there and really real. I mean, Eastern religions have made a big deal out of meditation. But their form of meditation, as best as I've understood it, is a meditation that involves the emptying of the mind, the, the uh, taking away of thoughts so that your mind is left kind of with a blank slate. Uh, you know... Or it is focusing on particular words or phrases like mantras, you know, the whole mindfulness thing, which is also, again, very, very popular, it seems like to me, even in our culture right now, which comes from an Eastern religious idea. Biblical meditation is almost completely opposite of all of that. Uh, in the Bible, when it says meditate, it means fix my eyes. It doesn't mean empty my mind. It means fill it. Uh, the word meditation in Hebrew, um, sometimes w- there's a couple different words. One of them is um, almost like the word for murmur, like you're saying un- under your breath, you're just reflecting to the Lord the same thing. You're, you're talking through your faith to the Lord. The other word is the same word used for when animals chew the cud, when, when animals ruminate. Y'all, y'all know what that is? I think everybody knows that, uh, some animals regurgitate their food, chew it again, and swallow it to another stomach. That's part of their way of digesting. So they eat their, cows eat grass several times before they're done. Well, that's kind of what meditation is. You take in God's Word, but you don't just have it there once. You don't just hear it and go on and forget about it. You take it in and you begin to regurgitate it, rethink about it, go back over it again and again, make connections with other parts of the Bible. Think about what the a- applications or the implications of that truth might be for my life. Like you're thinking it out over and over in the presence of God. It's not, not exactly like prayer, it's a little different than prayer because, in some ways, you're speaking to God, but you're also speaking to yourself in meditation. You're telling yourself what the Bible is saying and what its implications are. The Bible says that practice, which actually the Bible commands that practice on all people. Um, for example, um, uh, what does uh, God say to Joshua? Uh, meditate on my law day and night, he says. Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the seat of sinners, but the medit- you know, light is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. Meditate on my word. David says, I am going to meditate. I am going to fix my eyes. This psalm is proof of that. This is what David is doing in this psalm. This psalm is a meditation in the form of an alphabet, acrostic, where he's taking each letter and he's going over and ruminating again and again and again and again how much the Bible means to him and what the Bible is. He meditates. He thinks seriously. Well, now, let's go to the last thing because we're running out of time. I think the kids are going to be here in a minute. Five. And we will have much more time to talk about meditation, by the way, because he brings it up several times. Anyway, five. He enjoys God. And this is uh, in verse 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will delight in your statutes. Now think about it. Have you ever said to yourself about anything, I will delight in blank. It's an odd thing to say. If you stop to think about it, it's an odd, it's one thing to say, man, I delight in that. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. It's another thing to say, I will delight in that. Isn't that kind of weird? Think about why that might be, that David feels the need to express that and, and, and why it is that over and over in the Bible people say stuff like that. I will delight myself in the Lord. You want to your yeah. Your yeah, it's almost like he's he, he recognizes the desires already in there, but yet he recognizes all the wild hares and all the byways that he wants, to, all the off-road journeys that he wants to take, and he's like, uh-oh, let me just go ahead right now and say it. I will delight in the Lord my God, right? I know that part's in me, but I also know there's these other parts that aren't going to delight in the Lord. And so I'm just going to stake my claim and say, I'm going with that part that says I will delight in the Lord. He's telling himself what he knows he needs to do, what he knows he needs to feel. It's one of my favorite things about the Psalms, actually, is there are these moments where he stops addressing God, he stops addressing other people, and he just sort of turns and starts addressing himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, sometimes you got to take your soul by the collar <laughs> and tell yourself how you should be feeling or thinking or acting in a moment. He says, Martin Lloyd-Jones again, we spend way too much time talking, listening to ourselves, and not enough time talking to ourselves We listen to ourselves. We don't talk to ourselves. Uh, So David, you know, had he, welcome back, kids. David, had he been simply listening to himself, might have said something like, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to delight in your word or not because I've got all these other things to do. And I'm so busy and I don't really feel it. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's such a drag. And I'm not really, you know, I'm not really a reader. And, you know, you're listening to yourself. He he doesn't do that, though. He doesn't pick those things. Instead, he says, nope, I will delight. Because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. And better, better than that, it's not just what I know I'm supposed to do. I know it's what God has already given me a desire to do. What I'm doing is I'm just picking the desire that really is me, according to God, against those desires that he says are no longer me. And I'm saying I'm going with that. Another example of it is Psalm 42 where David says, "Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in the Lord." Takes himself by the collar and tells himself what he ought to be feeling. And so if you look at those five things, and this is where we'll end right with this. I want you to think in your own life just of ways that you can add some of these basic practices into your Bible reading, into your listening to sermons, coming to church, uh, meditating on the scriptures, adding these elements in. Do you prepare yourself? How could you be better at preparing yourself? How could you be better at coming with a, a heart ready to agree with God, to confess? Do you obey? Are you seeking simply information or are you seeking to know the way of life? Do you meditate? Uh, I'm going to, in this, I mean, basically this whole summer that we're going to talk about Psalm 119 is going to be about how to meditate. So keep coming and you're going to learn more and more as we go on how to do that. But do you meditate? And then lastly, are you resolved to delight? Because I'm telling you, it, it takes, It sometimes you got to fight to delight fight for your right to delight, right? (laughs) To channel the Beastie Boys. You have to fight for your right to delight because our hearts are prone to wonder. Uh, And we cannot trust everything that bubbles up out of that bad boy because everything that bubbles up out of of the heart is not good. So go ahead and just stake it. I will (laughs) delight. It's my best life. And I'm resolved to live it. Amen. Amen.